Let's open up today to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is today we have, uh, I don't know if it would be considered a famous story. How many of you have heard of the Good Samaritan? Probably you have, right? I mean, they have Good Samaritan hospitals, Good Samaritan home cares, Good Samaritan, you know, you name it, man. And uh, But I, I think if it was up to me, I would have changed it. I wouldn't necessarily have called it the Good Samaritan. I think I would have called it the Saved Samaritan because that's really... Um, what the story is about. We're going to see today that a lawyer came to Jesus. He was considered to be a religious expert. He knew the word of God inside and out. And he asked him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And so, you know, they kind of go through their uh, little issues and we'll talk about that. But eventually Jesus gives this story right here as an illustration, a practical illustration of what's a very practical salvation, that if you really are saved, then this is the life that you will live. And we're going to see the contrast between the religious expert and the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, how the religious expert and the priest and the Levite were going to hell and how the Samaritan was going to heaven. It's a real important study. I was sharing this with my family last night. I was telling my kids, you know, it's not just a little story. This is about the saints and the ain'ts, man. This is about heaven and hell. This is about whether you're saved and uh, whether you're just religious. And so we read right here. Look in verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is, your, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. We see here that this lawyer, he stands up, and he comes to Christ with this huge question. Now, like I shared earlier, at this time in history there in Israel, culturally, a lawyer was a person trained in the law, specifically the law of Moses. If you have an NIV, it says an expert in the law. This guy really knew the Bible, right? And so this guy comes to Jesus. It says right there, notice in verse 25, he tested him. He was testing Jesus, meaning he didn't come with an open heart. His heart was closed and he didn't come for discovery. He came suspiciously. He was a very religious guy. He knew all the answers already. He wasn't really open to Jesus Christ, right? And so, you know, some people come like that. The Lord still talks to him. It's so cool. The Lord still reaches out to him. He comes with this huge question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how is someone saved? How are you forgiven? How do you go to heaven? What's it going to take on my part in order to enter into the kingdom of God? And that really is the most important question of all, isn't it? Huh? How are we going to be saved? We don't want to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell, right? And there's no one here. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? And so that's the question then. Well, okay, how, how am I saved? How is one saved? You know, in looking at that search right here, we see 
that this guy comes with a false motive, but Jesus is willing to give him the truth. And one of the cool things I like about the way Jesus teaches is that in order for it to really sink in, in order for it to sink, you've got to think, right? In order to sink, you think. You read the Bible, right? You know it. He, he knew this guy, knew it really well. So he turned the question around. When you read the Bible, tell me what it says. And so the lawyer again responds, beautiful response in verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He probably had it written on a phylactery right here around his wrist or his forehead. He memorized it. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He knew the answer and, and Jesus knew him. And so the Lord says, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, we're going to come back to verse 28 in, in just a second, because that's kind of a, a funny verse. But verse 27 is a huge verse. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We were singing that song earlier. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I saw you guys. It was kind of cool. I'm proud of you. You were singing it, because sometimes you don't sing. <laughs> You're singing it, praise God. But are you living it? Do you really love God? You know, it's one thing to say it. And it shouldn't just be, you know, something you say. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You know, that's saying a lot. And this is a person that, that, that's saved. We're going to see that. What does it mean to love the Lord your God like that? Well, you know what? I, I looked up a lot of Bible commentaries, a lot of Bible dictionaries, a lot of Bible encyclopedias. And, you know, it's kind of funny how a lot of these words, you know, you can't put your finger on. It's kind of, they're intermingled a little bit. But there is a few things I think we can come up with. To, your soul, to love the Lord your God with all your soul. When you die, your soul leaves your body. That's your soul. When you die, boom, it goes up. Your soul is like your inner man. If I could just say that, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with, with all your inner man, right? That's kind of what the soul is. But before you can get to the soul, you've got to get to the mind. To love the Lord your God with all your mind, that's that world of imagination. That's that world of contemplation. That's your thinking. That's your thoughts. And, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your mind and then with all your soul, your inner man. And then to love him with all your heart, that's like the center of your inner man. That's the place where you make decisions whether or not you're going to do his will. They call it the volition. The Jewish culture, the, the Hebrew culture said that in the heart is where the decisions of obedience are truly made. That's why the Bible says David was a man after my own heart who would do all my will. And so you love the Lord with all your mind, imagination, contemplation. And you love him with this soul, this inner man. That's who you are. And then when you get to the heart, that's the center of your inner man. And then you love him with all your strength. That's your passion. That's your intensity. That's your power. And that's how you love the Lord. You love him volitionally. You love him spiritually. You love him intellectually. And you love him passionately. And that's really the calling for us as Christians. You know, if you wanted to further strip it down, you're like, well, okay. And I know for me, I'm really more interested in, Manny, you know, Lord, show me more practical ways. What does it really mean? 
Because you know how it is. We know how it is, you guys. Uh, it's maybe for some of you here. I don't know, you know, what your history of your love life has been. But you know how it is. If I could just say this real quick, you know, you, you when you first meet somebody, you're single, they're single, and you see them across the room, and then you kind of approach them, and you get to know them, and you get these funny feelings in your stomach. Did you guys ever go through that? Anybody here ever go through that? Hopefully, as married couples, we still have those, you know? There's a little bit of that that's good. But, you know, and then we go and we talk to our, our friend, and you're a girl, oh, yeah, I'm in love, you know? <laughs> Right? Because you have feelings inside and, and you're thinking, well, that's what love is. And what we do a lot of times is we take that. It's not true, by the way. It's not true. That's something that's messed up in your body, okay? <laughs> that's just a feeling. Um, but, you know, love is a lot more than that. But what ends up happening is we take that into our relationship with God. And, you, you know, you ask everybody, well, do you love God? Oh, yeah, I love God. Oh, I love God, you know? But... The, the real test of whether or not you love God is what? If you obey God, right? We know that. I mean, we should know that. Look at some verses real quick in John chapter 14. Look at John chapter 14 in verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, that's what love is. Love isn't this funny feeling when you lift up your hands and you're worshiping God. That's not love, really. It could be a byproduct of your love, but that might just be some physiological experience that you're going through. He says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It's an element of obedience. We see the same thing if you go down to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. See, if you're here today and you're living in sin and you're not treating your spouse right, you're not treating your coworker right, you know, if you're here today and you're living in repeated sin, you know, sexual sin, it could be pornography, it could be so many different things, it could be pride, it could be bitterness, it could be, you know, there you are repeatedly, defiantly, presumptuously going against God's commandments. You know, it's real simple for me to say you don't love God. You don't. Because if you love God, you'll obey God. That's what he's saying. In verse 24, he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. You see, and that's an important thing. You know, to love God means that you obey God. It's not a funny feeling that we get inside. It's not even a happy feeling that we get inside. Don't get me wrong. I I like, you know, to when I pray in the morning, I can sense his presence. I love that. You know, and when I'm worshiping, lifting up my hands to God, I can feel it. And I love that. I think that we need to have the subjective as well as the objective. But that's not really what love is. Love for God means you're living a life of obedience, right? And, and that's what the Lord is saying. That's what we read. The guy knew it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's saturated throughout the scriptures of the great Shema to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You know, but but how does that work as far as the question that the lawyer had for Jesus? How shall I inherit eternal life? Well, you know the Bible. What does it say? To love God, love others. And so question, does that save you? Does loving God and loving others, is, does that save you? And the answer is no. It, it doesn't save you, but it proves that you're saved. And that's what Jesus is getting to. 
we're going to see this whole thing. It's really interesting how Jesus knows the advantage. You know, if I'm talking to you, you know, and sometimes I know you guys can experience this. You can talk to somebody. They're smiling at you, but inside they hate you. I can't see that. You know, you can't see that. We can't see that. God can see right through that. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly where you're at. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, for those of you who are familiar with the story, what did the Lord tell him? Oh, it's kind of the same thing. Keep the commandments. I've done it since I was young. Then what did the Lord say? Okay, now you're serious. This is what you need to do. Go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. You come follow me. Why? Because that was his problem. Riches, it was getting between him and the Lord. This guy's problem is a lack of love. This guy's problem is religion. Position. And we're going to see that. It's a crazy thing. The Lord deals with it. And so the Lord, what he does is he gets to the heart of the matter. And what he ends up saying is that, you know what? Yeah, that, that's, that's the issue right there. And, and what we find, you guys, is that what he's saying is that if you really know the Lord... You're going to love the Lord. And if you really love the Lord, you're going to obey the Lord. Okay? So can we do some geometry here real quick? You guys like geometry? No? Come on. <laughs> John's all, I like it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Here's a triangle right here, right? If I can just give you guys a triangle. You know, to know the Lord. This guy knows the Lord. Okay? That's one point of the triangle. And there's here's two more points of the isosceles triangle. No, I'm just joking. This other triangle right here. To know the Lord is to love the Lord, and to love the Lord is to obey the Lord. You see how it works? And that's what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, if you go over to 1 John, we see the connection there as well. In John chapter 14, we see it clearly that if you love the Lord, you're going to obey the Lord. But look over at 1 John chapter 2, page 1703. Because you guys don't know where it's at, no. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And so John says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments back in the gospel. But now in the epistles, he says, if you know me, you keep my commandments. And that's the way it works. That's all Jesus was saying. That the evidence for a true conversion, a true salvation, is not your position in the church. I don't care if you know the whole Bible by heart. It doesn't matter if you're an expert in the law. The question is, is there love in your life? True love. Love for God means that we will obey Him, and obedience to Him means, of course, that we know Him. The second thing the Lord says, and the whole thing we see it come together in Leviticus chapter 19, is not only love for God, but also a love for our neighbor. And if you go over to 1 John chapter 4, here's a song that we used to sing. 1 John 4 verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Here it is now, love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is is love same thing how do you know you're really saved 
I go to church. Wrong. I went forward. Wrong. My parents are Christians. Wrong. How do you know you're really saved? I read my Bible. Wrong. How do you know you're really saved? Whether or not you have love. I teach. Wrong. I'm a pastor. Wrong. People like me. Wrong. Whether or not you love God and you obey Him and whether or not you love others. Beloved, it says right here, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Yeah, but Lord, I went to Cambodia. Yeah, but Lord, I taught 2,000 Bible studies. Doesn't matter, man. And, and, and the thing about it is so cool because, you know, you might be here today and you're like, I'm a loving person. Yeah, it, you love those who love you. And guess what? Okay, I'm going to give you something very important. It's not enough. You love those who love you, it's not enough. That won't get you into heaven. See, and that's why it's serious stuff, it's heavy stuff. It's important for us to understand. Because it's our responsibility to understand the Bible, it's my responsibility to teach you the truth. And if I tell you you love God, cool, and you don't love everyone, everyone, then according to the scriptures, you know what? You don't know the Lord. And see, for us, I think it's very important. You know, you're like, well, how do I love others, Manny? You know, I pray for them. Well, cool. And I know that it's, it's hard sometimes to put our finger on certain things. But here's something. Go back to Luke chapter 10. And, uh, and you know, I'll bet you almost anything man that if anybody looked at this expert this lawyer oh what an awesome christian he is man i bet you everybody thought this guy was so solid so right on i'll bet you almost anything why because he was very religious he was an expert in the law right and so this guy comes to jesus testing jesus jesus begins to deal with him he tells him really number one a practical look at salvation but then look what happens in verse 28. And so after this whole thing happens, he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. In other words, he wasn't living yet. <laughs> Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so this guy wants to justify himself. And that, I, I was, that was a hard one to figure out. Like, what, is, what does it mean, Lord, he wants to justify himself? And you know what? And looking at different texts and Greek and cross-references, things like that, more than likely was this guy wanted to make himself look good. He wanted Jesus to give him a pat on the back, and instead Jesus gave him a kick in the behind. We're going to see this. It's very important for us to understand. Because a lot of us here are caught up in religion. We're caught up in things that really are not practical in God's eyes. You know, sometimes we think this, if I can just get them to church, if I can just get them to read their Bible, if I could just get them to stop listening to secular music, if I could just get them into my little Christian cubbyhole, then they'll be fine. And God says, no, it's a lot bigger than that. It's a lot deeper than that. I mean, those things are good. We need those things. But a lot of people do all those things and don't know the Lord, right? 
right? That's not enough. It has to be deeper. It says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means, you neither will you enter into the kingdom of God. It's got to be more than that, right? And so what do we read here? Jesus says in verse 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, to him he showed mercy on him then jesus said to him go and do likewise first the practical look at salvation and then that kind of a practical illustration of salvation um you know to love the lord you know and to love others it means that you're saved But if you're honest, I don't know about you, but still, that seems a little bit intangible to me. What does it mean to love the Lord and to love others? Well, now we get down to the nitty gritty. That as you're living life and your neighbor comes into your path, and it could be your spouse, it could be your kids, it could be your extended family, it might be a co-worker, it might be a stranger on the side of the freeway, but when God brings someone into your path, do you help them? Do you love them? Or are we too busy on our way to the temple? Do we think that we might become unclean if we touch him? like the priest or the Levites thought. And there the priest, he passes by and he keeps walking into hell. There goes the Levite, he keeps walking by and he walks right into hell. Even though he's the one offering the sacrifices, he's the one doing the teaching. The Levite is the one who's assisting the pastors, assisting the priests, the worship leaders in the temple. There they are, these religious men end up in hell because somebody lied to them and told them that true religion is religion and it's not. James says true and undefiled religion is what? Visiting orphans and widows in their times of need. Matthew 25, when Jesus separated the sheep from the goats, what did he say? These went to church and these didn't? No. He said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you went to visit me. When I was sick, there you were. 
And they said, when, Lord, when do we do this? He said, whenever you did this to the least of my brethren, you did this unto me. The sheep went in, the goats. Now, we know that's the judgment of the nations. We know that's prior to the millennial kingdom, but the principle is there. And we we see the same thing right here. You guys, you know, to be saved, we know it's the word believe. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts chapter 16, 30 and 31, What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Place your faith in Jesus. Trust in the cross of Christ. That will save you. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So all these movie stars that are doing their thing and they're giving all their money thinking that's going to get them to heaven, that's not going to get them to heaven. It's not. But when you have that faith and then you have that works, then you're going to heaven. You know, we see the same thing if you go over to James real quick. James chapter 2, in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And again, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 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 I prayed for them. Dead. It's heavy. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, it would be difficult, I think, to meet every need around the globe, but the ones that God wants you to meet, you don't want to meet because you have your excuse. That faith is dead. It's dead. Oh, Manny, I have other types of works. Oh, really? What are your works? Yeah, you know, I'm a teacher at the, at the church. Okay, let's go over to Matthew 7 real quick. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, and I know you guys know this verse, a lot of you here do. In verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now to prophesy what means to speak forth God's word. We've prophesied in your name, cast out many demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, period. See, it's not a religion, you guys. I thank God that we have the opportunity to come into the church and do ministry. And you know, doing ministry is not bad. Don't get me wrong. Being a pastor, assistant pastor, worship leader, teacher, all those things are not wrong. But if you think that's the works that God's looking for, you've got to be really careful, especially if you're not doing it motivated by love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that. Though I speak with the tongues of angels, but I have not love, I'm a clanging cymbal. Just a bunch of noise in God's ears. And so what do we see? Back in Luke chapter 10, what ends up happening is the priest and the Levite, they just pass by, but there's a Samaritan. Okay. 
722 BC, the Assyrians come. They take away the people from the northern kingdom. They bring in other people. They mix the, the people and the nationalities. It's a mixed nationalities. They bring their religion. They bring a little bit of this religion. And it's kind of a weird religion now. It's a mixed hybrid, not pure. Samaritans, Jews hated Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. In other words, in one sense, this is your enemy. And Jesus makes him the hero of the story. All I'm saying is this. If you don't love your enemy, if you don't love that one, you don't know God and you're playing you know, with your eternity. You better repent. We better repent and start loving them. Otherwise, we're messing around. Otherwise, we're gambling with heaven and hell. See, this is what real Christians do. We talked about that last Thursday in the study. And, you know, Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And all I want to do today, you guys, is really encourage you guys. You know, I love you guys. When I read this, man, it hit me hard. It hit me hard because I'm like the priest. I'm like the Levite. But I get so busy in life. I have no margin in my life that I, sometimes I can't help the people God wants me to help. And God says, man, you need to be you know, less busy. Create some margin in your life so that you, know, you can have a little bit of buffer to where you can go and help them. Because if not, man, you're the Levite that passes by. You're the priest that passes by. And the more you do that, the more you are losing, in, in one sense, from a biblical perspective, the assurance of salvation. Because God's not impressed with how many Bible studies I teach. I mean, I do it for him. I try to do it for him. But, you know, here I am teaching this. Okay, and I'll just close with this. Here I am teaching this. But am I living this? Now, you guys, what do you think? Would God be impressed if I went to him and said, God, I taught it? Would that impress him? Yes or no? Well, not really. Not if I didn't live it. Christianity is a lot more radical than you think it is. You know, someone might look at Katie and they say, how can she adopt a child? She's just a kid. You know, she's young. She, she doesn't really know how to make those big decisions in life. You know what? Be so careful, man, because that's exactly what I'm talking about. Loving people like this. So God help us, you guys, to understand what Jesus is saying and you know, when someone comes your way this week or whatever, you know, you're, you're going to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Remember last week? How many of you here were here for last week's study? If you would, raise your hand. And you came back. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. Okay, last week's study, one of the things we talked about was praying for more laborers. Jesus said to pray for more laborers. How many of you here prayed for more laborers? If you didn't, you're a hearer of the word and not a doer. See, everything we come in every single week, we're accountable for. And we need to ask God, you know what? It's not my responsibility to take your Bible and say, here, mija. You know, this is what we studied today. Do it this week. You go home, you review it, and you ask God to really show you how to do all these things. Let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your love, for your grace. Lord, I pray.
And I thank you for, you know, the church, religion, and ministry. I know all that is so huge and so important, Lord. But I also know that we are so...